0: Welcome to Destination Church Belfast's weekly podcast. For more information about our church, you can find us on the web at www.destinationchurchbelfast.co.uk. You can also join us every Sunday morning at 10:30 am at Mossley Pavilion. Now for the message. So here we are at Following the Leader. In this message series, we hope to and want to more fully discover together what a leader is and what a follower is. We'll discover what helps and what hinders the process and learn some of God's ways with his people. And I've said this before, I have a very high value on being submitted to leadership. It's not always easy, but there's always fruit from it. Following is a choice which you get to make, and you need to know that you have a choice. And if you don't know that you have a choice, I would wait until you feel like you do. Because if you just feel forced into something, you don't want to do it for those reasons. You want to be able to say, yes, I do want to do that, or no, I don't. You're always a follower before you're a leader, and you're always a follower when you're a leader. And to understand leadership, you have to stand under leadership. It's not control, it's invitational influence. And leading should be, and in reality, is a love thing. Jesus knows the road to the destination, because he is the road, and he is the destination. And often have you found that Jesus will offend your understanding. He'll ask you to do something and you think, I don't have the time to do that. I don't have the resources to do that. I don't want to do that. And actually when you do do it, you understand that he was working on a whole other level. So if we look at a, a, an airplane, big chunks of metal, right? Is there any way in looking at it that it should actually fly? It's like, have you ever seen the bee movie? Was it they say? How on earth a bee shouldn't fly its body's too fat for its wings. They say it much more gracefully than that. But when you look at an airplane, you're looking at it, and if you're, I'm going to touch on what Andrew spoke about last week, about the soul and the spirit. In your soul, as Mark Gordon would say, the soul's right. The soul looks at the plane and goes, that plane, that thing should not fly. And yet, when you get it up to, I think this speed for takeoff is 180 miles an hour, you get it up to that speed, there's a lift and up it goes. But that thing shouldn't fly. And how often do we do that? God comes along and says, there's your plane. You're like, that's a lead weight. There's no mission that I'm going to be able to fly with that. God says, trust me, we'll get you up to speed and off you go. So Jesus knows the road to the destination. And if you hang around him long enough, he's going to ask you to do something that's beyond yourself. And if you take him up on his invitation, you'll find that there's much more to you than you thought there initially was. His uh, invitation to you invites you on a journey that will kill you and bring you life. And as followers, we've been invited to participate in a restoration project. Come on, let's build this house. Let's invite people along. And what do you know all along? The person that's being restored is actually us. And then thank you to Andrew for speaking about leading yourself last week. Did you uh, get something from that? Did the whole soul and spirit, did you ponder that throughout the week? Oh, it's really interesting, isn't it? Ruth was talking about uh, a little boy. She knows, wasn't it, Ruth? And the boy goes, what about me? What about me? The soul cries, or my soul tends to come along and goes, hello, I am the spirit. And I'm like, oh, sounds like the Spirit. Why don't you just do this, Colin? You shouldn't be feeling any pain. You should just do this. And what do you know? I get myself into a whole heap of trouble. So the soul can be, what about me? Or it can try to actually pretend and do an impression of the Spirit. What's that all about? So this process of dividing soul and spirit, the soul can only access the natural, and the Spirit can only access the Spirit. And we've got to separate our soul from our Spirit because the soul cannot understand how to do so. Your soul, if you let it, will shut down every invitation from God to you. I'm not on my own. You, The Holy Spirit will come to you and say, Colin, I'd like you to do this, and the soul will go, no, 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 that's not possible. That's not fair. That shouldn't happen. Not enough time. Can't do that. Being hurt here, that's happened there. Can't do it. But, but, If you actually, as Andrew described it so well, I was thinking about this all week, the soul's in the back. You imagine you're in a London cab and the soul's going, (laughs) you just go, shush. And Psalm 131, David said, my soul is like a weaned child within me. Nice and quiet and nice and calm. Not always. Particularly when you say yes to Jesus Christ, the soul goes, what are you doing? But what we need to know is that's normal. Have you heard that before? You know, it sounds like a lot of the time that whenever we talk about following Jesus, has that been your experience? Mine's been more like, ah, oh, oh, it hurts, oh, is it going to stop? Is it ever going to stop? Yes, those of you laughing, yes, been your experience? Yes? So whenever that happens to you, it's totally normal. I'm really sorry that that's the way that it is, but it's the way that it is. You go after God, your soul is going to scream. He restores my soul. He restores the soul. The soul is one of the most rebellious things that we have, our mind and our will and our emotions. And if we don't give up, if you just keep doing the thing that you know that you're being asked to do, after a while, the soul will go, oh. <laughs> la, 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 la 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 And because it's done that once, and it's been through that process once, you're ruined. You're forever ruined because you've been there. You get some victory and overcome something in your life. You are forever in the awareness and knowledge that you can overcome do it once and you've done it forever. If you don't overcome the next time whenever the thing comes along, you know that it's possible. You just are avoiding the pain that's going to cost you to get there. I don't like pain. It hurts. It's unpleasant. It costs. It hurts those around me. I don't like it, but I love the fruit of it. So we've got to separate our soul and our spirit. The soul must be subordinate to the spirit of man and be integrated with the Holy Spirit. The soul rides in the back, and we deal with the soul with denial of it and death. Jesus, our leader, gives us no other alternative, and I loved Andrew Collated these translations. If anyone wishes and intends to follow me and come with me as my disciple, following in my footsteps, they have to let me lead. They must deny themselves, give up all rights and their own way set aside selfish interests, conveniences, and forget themselves, and take up the cross daily, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come, and follow me, believing in me, conforming to my example and living, keeping close behind me, and if needs be, suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run away from suffering. Embrace it. And Jesus also said, if you truly desire to be my disciple, you must disown your life completely. Embrace my cross as your own and surrender to my ways. And we're not slitting the soul. It's uh, It's about denying and crucifying the soul's rights, appetites, and desires. We're not killing the soul, but we are killing its dominance. That's something we were talking about on Wednesday Night Small Group. And here's the kicker. This really, I was saying this to a few others, and I don't know that it maybe hit you as much as it personally hit me, but any struggle of faith and discipleship is rooted in the soul. That means that in all these things we're more than conquerors. It means that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It means that his grace is enough and his power is made perfect in our weakness. So any of the struggles that we're experiencing are in the soul, and therefore, the soul needs to go in the back. And yes, it can kick and scream. But if you let your, Holy, your spirit connected to the Holy Spirit lead, eventually your soul will overcome itself and start to believe that what God's actually saying is true. If you need to hear that, listen. If you don't give up and you keep connected to the Holy Spirit and let your spirit lead, eventually your soul will wrap itself around the truth. Even though it doesn't believe it, you keep saying to it, that's the truth. Eventually, the soul will give up and start to embrace the truth, and it will be restored. That's good news. Every one of us in this room struggles with our soul in some shape or form. Am I right? Every one of us. If we don't give up, our souls will be restored and renewed. And that's when people start to say, what's happened to you? So, today we're going to look at following ungodly leadership, and I confess I didn't put it up on Instagram because I thought they're probably going to think we're a cult or something like that, because we're not saying that we've got to root out ungodly leadership and go, just want to interview you, would you be slightly uh, sort of off skew and devious and evil in your ways? But most of us have found ourselves at some point having to yield ourselves and work in some other place to ungodly leadership, is that not right? And I have, on occasion, desperately tried to get out from under that ungodly leadership and heard very clearly the Lord say, no, that's where you need to be right now. Because our first thought would be, right, it's not good, it's not right, it's not godly. Can't be God, therefore let's get out of it. I worked for a firm that shall not be named for a long time ago, and uh, they really disturbed me, well, one individual in particular, with how easy uh, just... Lies rolled out of them. I remember one time a customer rang and uh, the individual said, I'm really sorry, my sister's just been taken into hospital and I won't be able to to sort that now for you. And I, th- I thought, desperately wanting to believe that that was the truth, and it was just a fabricated lie that was an ever present help in time of trouble that just rolled out like a river. And I remember thinking, And my thoughts would be, if you're going to lie for me, you're going to lie to me. And I just don't want to be involved in that whole thing. It's just not pleasant and not nice. And there was a lady one time who came in, and uh, she wasn't in a good place. We were selling her a product. Now, granted, she had come in for that, and she was wanting to buy something that, you know, her address was, she was in like a shelter. It wasn't good. So uh, we had to put people through a credit process if they wanted to purchase and uh, she wanted to and I remember praying saying God please don't let this go through from what I can see this lady does not need this at all or another bill in her life and it didn't go through hey! and then we had to tell the manager and the manager said would they have any family that they could put it through in their name and I thought I'm working for the devil this is just hateful everything about this place makes my skin crawl and I was not allowed to leave I tried to get out, and God said very clearly, you need to wait for the right exit off the, off the motorway so you can find the right ramp. And in the end, the, the business went under and got to move on. So why do I tell you those things? Well, ungodly leadership, dodgy ways, corruption, evil desires. We all work for them, really, don't we? We've all been them at some point. Uh, we have friends who are involved in those things. Um, should we follow? Well... It was ungodly leadership that God used to save us. John 19, then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe, went up to him again and again saying, Hail the king of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. He went back inside the palace and said to Jesus, Where do you come from? And Jesus said, um, or he asked Jesus, and Jesus gave him no answer. And Pilate said, Do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? "And Jesus said, "You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above." Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. And ultimately it was so-called godly leadership that executed Jesus. Was't it? The Jewish leaders of that day crucify him. And in the darkness of that act, the brightest light that we have ever seen shone. What do we do with that? Are his ways like our ways? Does he do anything the way that we would do anything? The troubles that come to us, I'm not saying that he's the author of it, but he certainly uses it. We are only here now because of that opportunity for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Romans thirteen one. let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. What do we do with Donald Trump? God's going to use that man. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for Donald Trump has not been established by God. No for there is no authority except that which God has established. So there are times in our lives when God will ask us to yield to ungodly leadership. Does that mean that God is calling us to sin? Absolutely not. John Maxwell, um, he's a bit of a leadership guru. He's been a pastor. He uh, He's really... I, well, how would you describe him? He's just up there in terms of understanding of leadership, teaching on leadership. And I listened recently to a podcast that he did. This lady, I think, had been or still is the CEO of Apple, a lady called Angela Arendt. And uh, she's a Christian. And he was asking questions around, look, you're, the, you're overarching in this massive company. Um, wh- what do you do when it comes to the icky stuff? And she said, I always remember that I have a bigger boss. The bigger boss being God, and she always yielded herself to him over any other. So in this we've got to remember that God's ways are not our our ways, nor are his thoughts our thoughts. Isaiah fifty five, eight to nine. And you know this one well. Proverbs three, five to six, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, and in all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. And you may find that God's ways initially are offensive. It's like, what? Why would you ask me to go there, do that? Do that with my resources, do that with my time, befriend that person? God will lead you to be under the leadership of someone who doesn't love him to give you the opportunity to stand with courage on what you know to be true. The little trees, you know, I've talked about them before that we have outside our house. There's one little one we bought when it was literally the cul that we whipped. It was just a wee twig. And now it's getting strong. And I went out to it one day as one of the ladies who was walking her dog was propping it back up again as the dog's lead it got wrapped around and yanked it over. The tree now is standing good and strong. And the little cherry tree that was sitting in its pot for years and years, it's trunk so thick you're not going to move it. But it's the season's. It's the difficulties, it's the storms, it's uh, the the droughts, and it's the uh, incredible rain like we had yesterday. It's all of those things that put strength into the tree. It has to be able to endure to be able to stand. And yet, if you're like me, half the time you want to be able to say, could you remove me from that difficulty, God? And what I'm learning is he really wants us to lean into him, not deny the pain of it. Not, not turn around and say, I love this, this is just wonderful. But to go, this is really hard, but I know that you're doing something, so I need you. we connect him, we'll hold his hand tight and let him cuddle us and hold us tight and hold on to his leg or hold on to whatever is zip. <laughs> I'm not letting you go, Jesus. But we've got to be able to stand and endure because that's what makes us strong. If you do agree and endure and participate, you'll grow in character. And you will testify to those who do not know him that he is. This must be heavy stuff. We who love God are the salt and the light of the world. We're called to bring out the God flavors and God colors of those we're around. You bring the influence of Jesus Christ into the lives of those who do not yet know him. And God always has a remnant. Let me read. This is Romans eleven two to 5. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scriptures say in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets, torn down your altars. I'm the only one left. And they're trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I've reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there's a remnant chosen by grace. We are called to stand under that they might understand something of who God is as we live our lives out with and for God in front of them. We're a remnant. I've been at, um, I was photographing at a wedding, and they didn't believe in God, didn't want them to be there. And because of where it was, God, in effect, couldn't be there. He's not allowed to be mentioned. But I was there. I love him. He lives in me. So he was there. He always has a remnant. And when we're asked to go into those places that really, most of the time, we don't want to go into, we are the hands and feet and the words and the touch and the expression of Jesus Christ. And he wants to go into those places. It's a tightrope walk, isn't it? It requires so much wisdom. But better to be on a tightrope that God's called you to walk on than on a highway to hell. Amen? It's a hard reality. This is tough stuff. But you want to be tiptoeing across going, oh, where he is than just running on your way to destruction. We do not want that. This is Matthew 7, 13 to 14. And it hammers home a point that I'd made a couple of, I think it was probably a couple of months ago now. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Only a few. So be part of the few. And I want to look at uh, Daniel. We can't talk about how do we follow ungodly leadership if you don't look at Daniel. I assume that you're all familiar with a lot of the stories of Daniel. The Daniel and the lion's den, and well, he wasn't in the fiery furnace, but his buddies certainly were. The hand, many, many, tekel, I can't remember the last word, but, uh, and then the dreams, and he has to tell Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreams about this wonderful tree, and it's the biggest in the earth, and it's full of glory, and everyone finds shelter of it, and then it's cut down to the stump, and Daniel has to say, let me interpret that for you, king. You're going to lose your mind, you're going to lose your kingdom, and you're going to lose everything, and then you're going to repent, and then God's going to restore you. Would you like to deliver that word to someone who could have you executed like that? He was uncompromising and courageous. He uh, he was incredible, and what was previously impossible happened. He was a man of honor, and he honored those he served without once dishonoring God. He is incredible. Now, Jesus Christ is always our yardstick in everything. But let's look at Daniel. And his story can be our story. There was something Andrew said last week. Don't, it was something like, don't let your subjective assessment of somebody else communicating something. As in, somebody's got victory in an area of in their life. And you go, oh, Nathan, Nathan, well done. And when Nathan says, you can do it too, we go, no, that's just, that's just for Nathan. And what we're in danger of doing most of the time with the Bible is going, that's just Daniel. Or that's just David. Or that's just Saul. Or that's just whoever you want to fill in the blanks there. And what we've got to learn to do is go, that can be me. Do you agree? <laughs> Your body language is like, stop talking to me. This is hard on a Sunday morning. It's Christmas, Colin. It's Christmas. <laughs> Happy Christmas. He was constantly under the threat of death, yet lived his life to the full, yielded to the king he served, yielded to the king he served, but his heart yielded to the king of all kings. Revelation twelve eleven. they triumphed over him being the enemy by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. And Jesus said, Matthew sixteen twenty five, "Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it." Daniel may have, and I'm pretty confident that he did, have experienced fear, but he yielded to the right fear of the Lord more than the fears of what was going on in his soul. Daniel separated his soul and his spirit and was able to love and serve those who were evil without doing evil himself. How incredible is that? I mean, when I'm talking to you about the individuals, I, I, that lady I'd heard uh, you know, tell that lie about her sister, I, I detest that. Like, that offends me on every level, and I don't much like that. I don't much like her for doing that. What Daniel did was Daniel was able to go, that's not of God, but I'm going to love you. And most of the time we go, they're just, they're nearly not worth it. Why should I bother? And in actual fact, love covers over a multitude of sins. Perfect love drives out fear. They're probably that way because they're scared half the time. And I want to read to you, uh, this is quite a lengthy passage, but I want to, I think it's worth reading out. This is uh, from definitely from Daniel, and I haven't cited where it is. You're just going to have to listen. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, "We will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel, unless it is something to do with the law of his God." So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, "May King Darius live forever!" The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisers, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict. And enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any God or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered. Where do you see what Daniel does. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before, because Daniel had a bigger boss. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who praised any God or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? And the king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to your majesty or to the decrees you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Why did he do that? This is card participation moment. Just so you know. The king loved Daniel. He loved him. Why do you think he loved Daniel? I think he loved Daniel because Daniel loved him. That's quite a testimony right there. You get a king to issue a decree and then the king, who knows that he can't repeal the decree does everything he can, is emotionally distressed and in turmoil because someone that he loves could be killed. What does that say about Daniel even there? So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Oh, could you imagine that? Your boss professing atheist, doesn't care, comes up and says, I really hope that he's right, and may this God that you serve save you. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. Honor. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me. Because I was found innocent in his sight Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty The king was overjoyed And gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den And when Daniel was lifted from the den No wound was found on him Because he had trusted in his God And it's not just for Daniel It's not just for Daniel I'm going to push this down to the ground today It's not just for Daniel It's for you That's what we've got to get a hold of. And it's like slap call with the word soul around the poof. It's not just for Daniel. It's for you and it's for me. In these situations that we find ourselves in that seem totally impossible, we go into a pit at God's command. Oh, wish that wasn't part of the story. But we get lifted out of the pit again and those around us go, whoa, that God that you talk about is actually real. Would you go into a pit for that? Here's the other scary bit. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and their children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Daniel loved the king, and the king loved Daniel. And love has this way of repelling bitterness. You're in a situation you don't much like how you've been treated and you're starting to feel bitterness. You get a hold of God and you say to him, you've told me to bless those who persecute me so I'm going to do that and I'm going to talk to you about their welfare. Your heart will start to change and you'll protect yourself from what will utterly destroy you. And I heard Bill Johnson say uh, recently that bitterness are just the seeds of murder. Oh. Love repels Bitterness. Actively pursuing the destruction of another will ultimately end in our own destruction and that of those that we love most. That's pretty scary. Their families were chucked in and before they even hit the ground they were ripped to shreds by the lions. Can I get you guys up? You must have boundary lines that you will not cross. One of them for me is that whole thing of telling the truth. I've been asked on numerous occasions throughout numerous jobs that I've done to lie, and I've always said no. Uh, I've made that decision a long time ago. I've always had slightly higher value for truth and love, and the balance is starting to get redressed to be truth and love together. But that's a line that I'm never going to cross. I've made that decision, and I have got rid of jobs um, and actually stayed in jobs because I've said, no, I'm not doing that. That's a line that I will not cross. And you must have a boundary that you will not cross. And it's got to be predetermined. It's got to be something that you've decided, I'm not going to do that. Because in the moment, we all know that we're going to be desperately tempted to cross that boundary. And the lines that you will not cross become the point at which others see the cross. Your faith in Jesus Christ is most visible there. Those places where you stand and go, I'm sorry. And if you can do it with love I appreciate that why you would ask me to do that but I'm sorry, I'm a Christian and because of that I'm afraid I can't do that for you. You want to reach, stand your ground. And we all know the phrase, you got it, was it if you don't stand for something you're going to fall for anything. The lines you will not cross become the point at which others see the cross and your faith in Jesus Christ is most visible there. And if we don't I want to put this on at the end, if we don't understand what God is doing, and our trust in Him will be damaged. If we're called into a place that we don't particularly want to go to, and we don't understand that God's ways are different to ours, that He has a different way of doing things, we don't know that when you look in Scripture, He continually calls His people to stand for Him under those who don't stand for Him to bring change. We can become damaged. And we can become lame and our journey with him can be very difficult. We'll be suspicious and we'll be mistrusting of him. So we've got to be courageous and let God show himself strong in our lives. Are you up for that? I appreciate that that's a weary invitation. But that's where it's at. So will you stand with me? So as always, some questions to help you to respond. Has your trust in God been damaged by circumstances that you misunderstood as to what he was up for? Or up to Do you want to live forward as the salt and light that you are? And then finally, and hopefully we can all respond to this one, do you need courage? If you can answer yes to any of these questions or you just want ministry, please come and join me now been listening to Destination Church Belfast's weekly podcast. For more information on our church you can find us on the web on www.destinationchurchbelfast.co.uk. Thank you for listening.